The map is not the terrain. The map is not the terrain. The map is not the terrain. I don't know how many times we can say that throughout the podcast. Three? Three? I think you just said it three times. This episode of the Startup Podcast is brought to you by Vanta. You might know that sinking feeling. You're about to land a big contract when they ask about compliance. SOC 2, ISO, PCI, Essential 8. You've just snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Not anymore. Vanta massively accelerates your compliance efforts and allows you to get those life-changing deals back on track. Don't wait until it's panic stations, though. Get started with Vanta today. They're offering 20% off their prices just for TSP listeners. Do yourself a favor. Hit pause. Go to vanta.com slash TSP. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com to get that 20% off. Growth is oxygen for startups. Sooner or later, you'll want to do Google Ads, Instagram, Display, TikTok, SEO, what have you, Newsflash. You will not do these well on your own. That's where Insil comes in. There are a lot of agencies out there, but not many of them are rated 4.8 stars on Google. Do growth right. Go to insil.com.au to get in touch and tell them we sent you. You're listening to The Startup Podcast. This is an educational episode in-depth masterclasses about the concepts essential to building, running, and investing in Silicon Valley-style startups. Whether you're a founder, investor, or operator in a startup, you'll gain insights into the principles that power high-growth disruption the same way Facebook, Google, and Uber do it. The conversation starts now. Hey, I'm Chris. And I'm Yaniv, and in today's episode, we're going to talk about the role of data, metrics, and KPIs in your startup. This is a topic that we've wanted to talk about for a while, and I think, Chris, you and I, we nearly have a bit of a contrarian view on this, which is that most startups lean too heavily on data without even understanding all the nuances around it. And it can seem modern, it can seem scientific, but actually data can be as valuable as it is, and we're not here to shit on data, but it can be really dangerous if it's misused or overused. And so we want to just give you a high-level roadmap to the different kinds of data, what they can be used for, and then talk a little bit about the right way to use these things. Chris, I thought we could start with talking about the three high-level types of data that you'll come across in your business. Yeah, I mean, look, there's probably 17,000 different kinds of data, but in terms of the data we want to cover today, there's really three key types that we need to disambiguate. There's business metrics, there's product telemetry, and then there's market data. So just very quickly touching on what they are, business metrics is how much revenue are you making? How many active users do you have? How much runway do you have left? (laughs) That's That's business data. Then there's product telemetry, which is typically in the shape of a funnel. So where are people dropping off through your product? So they get to the sign-up page, and then they get to the user details page, and then they get to the create page, and then they finish creating the first entity in your system. And then market data, of course, is data that's out in the world about how big your competitors are or how valuable a particular opportunity is, and it's typically external to your business. And the reason we want to cover those three things is because oftentimes I'll talk to a founder about data or they'll be looking at data trying to make product decisions, and they're actually looking at their business metrics. So they're looking at how many signups they have. They'll be looking at market dynamics where really they should be looking at product telemetry. So it's very important to understand those distinctions. And we'll dig deeper into that as we go through the episode. Actually, those first two, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more before we go ahead, because I've certainly been guilty in the past of not having a crisp distinction in my mind between these two things. And if you don't understand the difference between these, then you're missing out on a lot. And when you look at the tools that you use to analyze this data, they tend to be different, right? So for business metrics, you'll be using a tool like Tableau or Looker or Preset or Power BI or whatever it is. Product telemetry, you're probably using a tool like Amplitude or Mixpanel. And this is not an episode about tools, but the point is these are actually fundamentally different kinds of data. 
business metrics can look a little bit like product telemetry because it's like, oh, okay, you know, this many people signed up and this many people actually made a purchase and so on. But product telemetry is a more granular than that. Product telemetry is who clicked on this and how many sessions did it take until they actually made a purchase? So to me, the big distinction is business metrics. It's more just about what happened, but product telemetry is about how your users behaved. You might say business metrics is what happened and product telemetry is why it's happening. Or how it's happening. And how it's happening. That's right. So I just wanted to make that distinction because these are vastly different kinds of data. The mistake I typically see people make is that they use business metrics instead of product telemetry when making product decisions or performing product analysis. This is a huge mistake, huge, huge mistake. And people often make product decisions based on business data and business priorities and business goals instead of on user needs. So often we'll talk like, we need to monetize. Let's create a feature that monetizes. <laughs> it's like, whoa, no, no, no. You need to provide utility and that utility might have a price tag attached to it. And I can't tell you how many times founders and teams are making decisions based on what they think their business needs, where they really should be thinking about what their user needs and what the product needs. It's also worth talking about, these are the categories of data. There's also types of data, right? And when people say we're data-led or we're data-informed, they're usually talking about quantitative data, which means numbers, right? Things you can measure and that are perhaps objective in some way. And they might be talking about a little bit of qualitative data, like what did a user say or what did a customer say? But it's really important to understand as a product manager and as a business leader, when I think of data, I'm thinking about it much more broadly. When you're making decisions and you're trying to be data driven, you need to also think about competitors, the market, your instincts, business priorities, feedback from support. You need to have a holistic sense of all of the data and all of the data is valuable, not just the data you can put in a spreadsheet. You know, I think, Yanev, a metaphor that might be useful throughout the episode, who knows, we might completely break it beyond all recognition by the time we're done, is to think about driving when you think about data. And so when I'm saying you want to be aware of all the data, the metaphor that we've both used many times is the map is not the terrain and you don't drive by staring at the GPS, right? You have to lift your gaze out the windscreen and look at what's happening in the real world. And you want to take in all that sensory data. You want to be looking at all the data, even the engine sound, the kids running across the street and the GPS and the speedometer on your dashboard. When I talk about taking in all the data, that's what I mean. I completely agree. I come from an engineering background. I'm comfortable with numbers. And I think a lot of folks come from an engineering background or a business background, MBA, finance, whatever. They're naturally comfortable with numbers. And so you can become overly focused. As valuable as numbers are, they are just one source of data or information or intelligence. And it can be very easy to go too far with using those. So with that, I thought it would be good, Chris, to sort of talk a little bit about the different roles of data and metrics in a modern startup, the different ways in which data can get used. Different uses of data require different types of data and require different ways of analyzing that data. And to go back to what I was saying before, I think a common mistake is to use one type of data for the wrong use, and then you end up with bad outcomes. Now, the first and in a sense, the most obvious is KPIs, what we'd think of as the high level business health metrics and also the accountability tools that are often used within a company, right? So this is like, is our revenue growing? Are our customers converting? Are they churning? Are we hitting our sales quotas? These really sort of high level metrics where we say, okay, these things are important. These numbers, we want them to go up and to the right. We're going to pay attention to this number and we are going to optimize our activities around making this number go in the direction we want want it to. I think there's two things I'd add. The first is it's really important to pick the right North Star metrics. I'll often meet founders in my advisory work who are measuring things that are too early in the value chain 
let's say they're creating a marketplace and they're measuring the creation of the supply side entity. So let's say you're a marketplace of shoes, how many shoes are listed on the marketplace? But what they really should be measuring is transactions, like how many shoes are being purchased in the marketplace, because that is the key measure of success in a marketplace is the supply and the demand meeting each other. Now, certainly the number of shoes created might be a driver of transactions. And so you need to dig into that layer deeper to understand it. But in terms of the high level tracking of your business, the numbers that you're paying attention to, to understand if you're being successful or if something is fundamentally going wrong, you need to understand that the tippy tip of the value creation, that end of the line, pick the most powerful and important part of your product and your business and measure that carefully. To continue this metaphor of driving, understanding your KPIs is kind of like understanding your destination. Where do you want to go, right? So you might have to get to that stoplight and stop. You might have to take that corner. You might have to go through that intersection. But ultimately, you need to understand where you're headed. What is your final destination? Great movie, by the way. So that you don't allow little pit stops along the way to distract you. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. We could actually and probably should and maybe have even a whole episode around the setting of North Star metrics and KPIs, because this is super important and we'll come back to it during this episode. But if you set the wrong targets, you are going to get the wrong outcomes and setting KPIs, setting North Star metrics is not trivial and not obvious. You've got to get them at the right level of granularity at the right point in the funnel. There's an art and a science to it. So you want to be careful with this. But yes, absolutely. You need to know whether your business is going in the right direction. And KPIs and high-level business health metrics are really important. Yeah, I want to press on this a little bit harder. Let me give you an example. There's a founder and a startup that I've worked with in the past where their ultimate goal was to build a sticky long-term platform in their space. But such as the dynamics are in small startup ecosystems, the obsession from investors was revenue, transaction volume and revenue. And how quickly could they onboard a customer to a small, relatively easy feature and charge them a transaction fee for that feature? So all the decisions of the startup were about how to get people into that funnel through that funnel as fast as possible and paid for the deliverable, paid for the thing they came to get. But of course, that was working against their real medium to long-term goal, which is how do you turn this person into a subscriber, into a long-term engaged user in, in the platform? They couldn't figure out how to reconcile these two things. And there was this kind of level of panic. It's like, if we don't get the user to do this, 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 and then upsell them on these three things and get them to pay within one hour, then we've lost them and it's over. <laughs> it's just like, Calm down, mm. calm down. We just need the user to get to an aha moment, to a point of value, to engaging with us around one particular thing. And then we tell a story over time. We build a relationship over time with an increasing amount of value and features and reasons to believe and multiplayer and on and on and on. I would say it took, without exaggeration, two years and it was still ingrained in the thinking of the team and the culture to be extremely transactional. And it was really difficult to think about the product and the business as a system and as a platform. And so this is where setting your North Star as a founder and as a product leader is so, so important because it's easy to rat hole down for months or years in the wrong direction. So there is this law, one of my favorite laws called Goodhart's Law, and it states when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. 
And what that means is really, another way of phrasing this is you get what you incentivize. And if you incentivize moving a particular metric, then you will get that metric to move, but you may not actually get the underlying business outcomes you want. If your metric is just about closing sales, then you will close unqualified customers and then they'll churn, right? So you, you want to be really, really careful about this. And KPIs are dangerous, especially in the context of a startup. When you start to make people accountable to KPIs, you will get exactly what you ask for, but you may regret it. So yes, you want to set really careful KPIs. And again, you want them to be about customer success outcomes in a sense that will ultimately drive your business outcomes. But even then, you want to be careful, I think, not to be too numerically driven, not too coin-operated, divorcing the customer journey, the product, the business, your goals, your mission from just moving a number, right? It can become really dangerous. Now, of course, Yanev, long-time listeners of the show are always waiting for us to mention the dreaded technology-backed services company. We do it <laughs> once an episode, it seems like. It's in the contract <laughs> we have with our listeners. This is exactly why founders end up this way. And we should talk about it as a KPI problem more often, Yanev, right? When your KPI is revenue, you will close whatever customers in front of you. And worse, Yanev, you said they're going to churn. It's worse. They may stick around and completely <laughs> fuck your entire company, right? And so this is so, so important. We talk about it endlessly. So yeah, the first and most obvious piece of data is your KPIs, setting them, tracking them, and responding to them. But set them carefully and choose them diligently because if you screw it up, you are in for a world of pain. It could corrupt the entire company over the long term. Yeah. I mean, really our, our not-so-secret agenda in this episode, Chris, is to say, Data is wonderful and it's valuable, but it is dangerous and you want to be careful with how you handle it. This stuff is, is radioactive and no, oh, you just, uh, you just came up with the episode title. <laughs> okay. And you know, nowhere more than in the area of company level KPIs and metrics. Now let's talk about some of the more tactical uses of data and metrics. And I say more tactical, these are still really important and still dangerous. So the first is business and product health tracking. And we don't have to go into too much detail about this, but this is really about being able to come in every morning, every week and say, all is well, at least operationally with this business, right? That we haven't had some metric sort of jump down, which means, oh, something's broken, you know, either our marketing campaigns misconfigured, or we maybe actually have a problem with our product or people are getting caught somewhere along our funnel due to a bad product release or so on. You want these sort of health and hygiene metrics because I think most founders and executives have had this experience, right? First time you know about a problem is you hear it from your investor or your CEO, and it is so embarrassing and humiliating nearly when you go like, oh, okay, you know, our product's broken and it, it took our lead investor, like trying to show it to someone on their team to realize that. You want to actually have a decent view, a dashboard into the overall health of your product and your business so that if there are any anomalies that you can dive in and fix them. You know, engineers understand this all too well, right? The best engineers and engineering teams have big screens set up in the office or alerting set up on all of their production systems. And the moment something starts throwing off too many errors or rate limits start to get hit or other things start to occur that are outside the band of normal operations, they know about it hopefully immediately. And you need to be the same way as a product manager and as a business leader and as a founder. And you need to have that same level of operational fluency or you know what's happening in the operations of the business. The analogy I have in my head is it, like a, you're a driver, right? Oftentimes people kind of fall asleep while driving. They're, they're kind of doing it subconsciously. 
but your hand's on the steering wheel. And as soon as something feels wrong, you hit a pothole or, you know, you're off track, your hands feel it immediately and it kind of wakes you up. It snaps you back to attention. And that's how you need to be about your business. You need to be paying attention to those metrics and have the visualizations that help you understand something's going very wrong. Although don't fall asleep at the wheel, folks. That shit's dangerous. Now, just again, <laughs> a word of warning, because I'm going to just keep coming up with warnings, like about too much of a good thing here is the more health tracking metrics you have, the higher the likelihood that one of them will become anomalous. And then when one of those becomes anomalous, you're probably going to go jigging. And so you can actually end up in a case of being over-instrumented and you spend a lot of time going on wild goose chases, trying to track down anomalies that are just not that interesting. And again, you talk about engineers, it is engineers who learn this lesson first when you put too much monitoring in place, you're always throwing off errors because you've, you've got your tolerances too tight. So I mentioned that in the context of in the same way as with KPIs, you want to be thoughtful about what are the metrics that really matter with business and product health tracking. Similarly, you want maybe, you know, a couple of dozen metrics, but if you've got 300 different metrics on your dashboard, then you're not being selective enough. And it's hard to actually get a good pulse on the health of your business. It's so analogous to picking your right North star, right? And the KPIs part yep. of this episode with all aspects of data here, you can ask the wrong questions of the data and you can draw the wrong conclusions and you need to be so diligent about what you're tracking and what it means. And, you know, Yanev, we talk sometimes about the art or the taste or the intuition that's involved in these things. And it's strange to talk about it in the context of data. But it really is about understanding, intuiting, or having a certain amount of taste about which numbers actually matter that are at the right abstraction layer. They're not too high where they're a lagging indicator. They're not too low where there's a lot of weird little errors that might occur. But they're at that middle layer, that middle level of abstraction where they're maybe not a leading indicator, but a, an, an appropriate indicator that lets you know when something is going really wrong versus a, a niggle that might sort itself out. Coming back to that driving metaphor and the, the car metaphor, this business health tracking, this is like understanding, have your RPM suddenly dropped or is there an engine light flashing, right? You need to know exactly what's going on, but you don't want to be obsessed with like what the wind speed is over the car. You need to be concerned with the things that actually affect the driving experience and your route towards your destination. Let's talk about diagnostics. So this is really about saying, okay, now something's gone wrong. My CEO's come to me and said, our sales are dropping or our cost per click's going up. What's happening? And you want to look into the data and figure out what is going on. This is actually one of the hardest things of all. Often, unless you have a high level of sophistication, you're going to have trouble getting answers out of the data. But of course, it is really important to be able to answer questions about things that have happened. I'm calling this reactive diagnostics. Okay, something's not looking right. Let's try to figure out why. Let's look into the data and see what is happening. Just continue this metaphor we're carrying through the episode. And this is like the technician plugging into the OBD2 port and trying to figure out what the hell's going on with your car, right? This is when you stop and pull over on the side of the road and go, hang on a second, what's really going on here? Things are clunking and making sounds. This is really hard to do. It's hard to ask the right question and it's hard to unpack causality and correlation. And it's hard to uh, dig through these database tables. Talk to a data scientist is what I say. So next is exploratory analysis. So again, we're diving into the data, but instead of something's gone wrong and we're trying to figure out why, we're looking to gain understanding and hopefully insight and opportunities for further product and business development. You might notice something about the fact that your product's resonating with a particular type of user or that a certain type of behavior is very common. So you then get ideas about how you might be able to improve your product or reach more users or lower your cost or whatever it is. So to use the example I gave earlier about if you're selling shoes in a two-sided marketplace, it's very common for great product managers and founders and data scientists to discover 
hey, if a user does these two or three things within 24 hours, they're more likely to retain and sell on the platform. And that's the kind of insight you really want to find, right? So if we get a user to look at one product, create a listing and engage with a potential buyer within 24 hours, we can tell that that user will tend to list five more shoes and stick with us for 24 months. That's the kind of insight where you're like, holy shit. Well, then our entire onboarding funnel needs to be about getting that user to do those things within 24 hours. Those uh, revelations are so, so powerful. You know, we had a whole episode about running experiments and experiments tend to be like, hey, if I ship this change, does it improve my funnel or does it improve my outcomes? And those tend to be a little bit transactional, not always, but they tend to be. This is a little bit more forensic. It's a little bit like, hey, what can we figure out from this constellation of patterns to make informed decisions about our roadmap and about our go forward plan? If you can find those kind of uh, insights, you are in really the top quartiles of product managers and founders. Okay, so we're rounding the bend here on the different types of data. The next is financial and business modeling, right? This is the sort of stuff that they teach you in MBA school or in accounting school, where you want to create a model of all the different inputs and outputs of your business, right? Like if we increase our pricing margin by this much or increase our growth rate by that much, or if we decrease our burn rate by a certain amount, what happens? The fundamental art here is the one of modeling and understanding what are the correct inputs and how they flow together. But I still think data plays a really important role here because when you are making assumptions, you need to base them on some foundation of reality because you can make a model say anything, right? But the more data informed you are, the more you're informed by what the actual behavior of your customers through your business is, the better you'll be able to make use of these models. Here, I think the thing to watch out for is false precision and getting stuck in bottom-up or top-down analyses and not reconciling across the two. So let's talk about these two. With false precision, is people like trying to get down to like decimal points and exactly how many of these things are we going to get and exactly what does that mean, right? When you're in a young startup and you're trying to just model out how things go, it, it just has to be broad understanding of like, is it realistic that we would get to this kind of revenue or this kind of growth? Or what happens when we get to this milestone in the business? What are the flow on effects? And what are the likely conversion rates? And putting some of those things actually as the levers, the variables at the top of the sheet, so that it's not so important what the number is, it's more important what the model is. And then as a board member, as a founder, as a, an investor, you can play with the variables based on your intuition, what you believe about the business or about the model. And so don't get too hung up on the exact absolute number of the variables. The model is the most important. And then let people figure out their base case, their worst case, their best case, and understand where they feel things might play out over time. And then the other areas that I find founders get stuck when I'm advising them is that a board member might ask them like, you know, what's your revenue projection for next year? And they kind of like freeze and like, well, I don't know, how do I, do I pluck that number out of the air? Or, you know, should I pick a top down number? What I think they want to hear there, you want to do essentially a bottom up analysis of like, well, what is our current user base? What is their conversion rate? Or what do we think we can get the conversion rate to? You know, what is the rate we think we can improve the conversion rate? What is the monthly payment by that user? And you can very quickly model out like, oh, if we continue to grow 20% month over month and the conversion rate continues to float up a little bit, one, two, three, five percent and the lifetime value or the monthly payments by users end up being a couple of bucks, you can very easily draw a curve. It may not be accurate, but it's at least a stab that's an informed stab of where you think you'll be in a year, you know, give or take. And then the last thing I'll say is people tend to get really worried about this is like, well, how do we know we can get there? 
Yeah, don't. Or you're proposing a new feature and how do we know if that'll work? Well, we don't know what the conversion rate is yet and we don't have any comparables. And it's like, calm down, calm down. This is a plan. It's a model. All models are wrong. Some models are useful. So you plug in your best guesses into those variables. You try to take your best, most educated, most pragmatic guess. And in the best case scenario, you take that curve and you fit to it. So it's Moore's law, right? Moore's law talks about doubling the transistors every 18 months or whatever. Moore's law is both a predictor and a forcing function. It tells the industry, you need to stay on this curve or risk being left behind. So guess what? They stay on the bloody curve and they continue to innovate with whatever manufacturing processes and going into third dimensions and whatever it takes to stay on the curve that Moore's law suggests. And in some cases, for my money, in all cases, as a great founder, you need to find a curve you believe in and through whatever process, through whatever means, stick to the curve, do what it takes to make the curve happen through sheer force of will. And I, I find a lot of founders are really afraid of that. Like, well, we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know how we could get there. And it's like, set your goal and find a way through great leadership, great execution, so on and so forth. Models are not there for forecasting or prediction. They are there for planning, but not in the sense of this model is the plan. Models are a tool for understanding the forces that will shape your business, for understanding both the opportunities and vulnerabilities of your business model, of your current numbers and so on. So you're really looking for sort of fulcrums, for leverage points that you can use to grow your business. When you talk about false precision, that's where I'm resonating, where I'm like, the biggest problem with models is when people think they are a tool for predicting the future rather than a tool for scenario modeling and for understanding. And so you probably shouldn't just have one model. You should have a bunch of different scenarios. We're like, this is what happens if we are able to grow it at 15%. This is what happens if we're only able to grow at 5%. This is what happens if we need to cut costs. This is what happens if we're actually meaningfully able to improve our conversion rate at this point in the funnel. And you start to get this sort of feeling of what your opportunities are. As soon as your model is the forecast, then you've already lost the game in my view. Yeah, so I, I sort of agree with you, Yanev, but not quite. I, I agree models are great for scenario planning. That's a no-brainer. I agree they're great to understand your levers and therefore what you need to focus on to play out those scenarios in the real world. And I agree that they're bad tools for predicting what will happen on autopilot. What I'm saying is you shouldn't be using the model to predict outcomes. You should be using the model to drive outcomes. And what I'm talking about is, a, is an underestimated and ill-used technique with models. Most people do not think of them this way. I agree with you on that. All too often when I'm working with founders and I'm saying we need to be more ambitious or this idea actually gets us to a really interesting place and we don't have to be attached to this kind of services revenue. And when you model it out, they're like, well, yeah, but how do we know if we can get to that number or to that variable? I'm like, fucking make it happen. Bet on your execution. Bet on the quality of your team. Mm. Level up your team if you have to. And I think that is a powerful way of using the model. To set targets is what you're saying. To set targets, to set the bar. And I, I guess, you know, setting targets is a very common use of, of models, but I find people in early days getting very nervous about that because they're not seeing this kind of predictable pipeline of activity yet. And so they feel like if there is no pipeline of activity that they can look at historical numbers, then it's impossible to model and set a target in the future. And what I'm saying is set the target, set it anyway, and use sheer force of will and entrepreneurship and quality execution and fundraising and whatever it takes to hit the target. That is often a thing that a lot of early stage founders are too afraid to do. And I think it's a missed opportunity.
This episode of the Startup Podcast is brought to you by Vanta. The team at Vanta are passionate about helping you secure your business by vastly cutting down on the time to get compliant with frameworks like ISO 27001, SOC 2, and Essential 8. Vanta lets you close deals, sleep better at night, and get back to building your product. Help yourself and help the podcast by going to vanta.com slash TSP for an exclusive 20% off deal. So Chris, we have merch. We do, yes. I just hit published on the store last night. I'm very excited about it. I think it looks fantastic. So I've worked with you long enough, Chris, to know that you're absolutely anal about design. It drives me crazy. And so this is a great combination of the beautiful logo type that was designed for us by Until Now and your work. These things look great. And just as importantly, folks, if you buy these items, you are supporting us on the Startup Podcast and it means the world to us. Chris, I understand these are limited edition as well. Yeah, that's right. And these are the first drop from us. There are limited numbers. I've got edition one on there. And so people will know you are fully OG on the startup podcast. And they're also, you know, subtle, minimal, clean, elegant designs. They have just our mark, but not the words. Then maybe you can spot each other at a WeWork. That's right. You can give each other the secret TSP handshake. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've wanted to do this for a long time. So I'm really excited, folks. I urge you to check them out. They're really cool. And like I said, a great way for you to support us and what we do on the Startup Podcast. That's right. So visit shop.tsp.show and you'll find the products there. And you can buy them pretty much anywhere in the world. Not North Korea. Okay, so let's say maybe if we can bring it together and as usual, you know, actually end up agreeing here, right? We were talking about KPIs before, right? And we were talking about the fact that choosing the right KPIs is not simple. And in fact, what I think you're saying here, Chris, or at least this is how I choose to interpret it, is that models can be a very valuable exploratory tool for choosing the right KPIs and the right targets for those KPIs, right? So we're performing this sensitivity analysis and so on. We're like, oh, wow, okay. If we can double our conversion rate, then this is the glorious outcome for our business. And we believe, based on a whole bunch of our knowledge and looking at the road to come back to that, right? We believe that we can, with application of effort, double our conversion rate. And therefore, seeing the massive impact of that in the model, it's going to be one of our targets, one of our OKRs. And so it can help you sort from all the different metrics, all of which, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, you would move them all up and to the right. Which are the ones that you're really going to focus on? And what is the number that you want to reach in order to make that model into a reality? Yeah, I want to broaden that a little bit. I've had this conversation with a, a startup recently where they were trapped in the dreaded technology-backed services company conundrum, let's say. And I worked with them to create a model for how profitable the product-led self-serve business could be. Very next objection was, well, Chris, we have an ops bottleneck. We could never handle that much throughput through our product. And our lifetime value yeah. of the user is too low <laughs> and our partners are too slow. And I said, congratulations, you've now figured out the problems you actually need to work on. Those are the things you should be working on. Those are the hard things instead of the hard things of figuring out how to service these professional services customers. You know, if you've spent a few months arguing with me that it's hard to build a product-led company, and I'm saying to you, running a services company is hard too. They're both hard. But we've now identified when we figure out the curve and we've said to ourselves, we want to fit to the curve. You've now identified the things that are actually hard that you actually need to work on. So what I'm saying is when you set that bar for yourself, it really forces you to work on the things that are hard and necessary to make your business uh, fit to that curve. I think we have come to the same page. Hallelujah. <laughs> Mommy and daddy are not fighting it anymore. <laughs> All right. Big hug. Big hug. All right. Final role of data is reporting. I'm talking about reporting information to the board, to investors, to financial regulators, and so on. And here really we're talking about 
data that just needs to be right. It doesn't need to be particularly insightful or interesting or selective. There's just a whole bunch of stuff around your P&L or, you know, it's often financial, not always. And you just want to get this right. So I just wanted to put that in there. I don't think there's much need for commentary, but it is an important use for data in the company. And where it tends to rear its head is when you are not collecting data well, it can become operationally very burdensome over time to actually provide this reporting function if you're not doing the basic data collection stuff well. This is an, an area which I think is really important, actually. You know, I'm, I'm always reminded of Steve Jobs. He talks about the computer needs to be beautiful on the outside and the inside. And Yanev, before we start recording, I was talking about how OCD I've become in my old age. But I would argue if you have a burdensome reporting cycle where you're having to pull shit together for your board, you are doing it wrong. You're in a failure state. Mm -hmm. You need to be navigating your business using all of the data types we just talked about every day. And your data should be on a dashboard. And the data you're reporting to your investors and to your board should be the exact same data you're paying attention to every day. The same data. If your board is interested in different data than the data you're paying attention to, you are fucked up. You are at risk of a Sam Altman-style uh, eviction from your own company. You need to align incentives and you need to align vision. And vision can often be expressed and is often expressed in numbers and in metrics. And so this is more than just a prefunctory thing that you got to pull some data together for your board. The dashboard and the data you're paying attention to that your executives speak about should be simply a screenshot or a copy and paste into the board deck and go, here's where we are this month and here's what we've been paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, I think in the ideal scenario, yes. There are often times, though, where boards want certain data in a certain format. But also, as you know, someone who is a founder of a business that has fintech characteristics, there are often regulatory requirements or requirements from debt providers around covenants and so on. And for that, you just need reporting. They have very strict requirements. Yeah. It needs to be auditable, et cetera. You're just going to have to do that. Yeah, regulators or debt financing providers. But if your board wants the data in a certain format that is different than the way your business thinks about it, I think that's a problem. I'm a big fan of like pushing back against dumb requirements. And there's an episode I want to do about the board is not omnipotent and not omniscient. If the board wants it in a certain format and that format doesn't make sense for your business, I would respectfully tell the board that you're not going to do it that way. You're going to do it in a way that makes sense for the business and the board should be involved and engaged in the way that your business thinks about its data. The board is part of the business and you need to manage their expectations and manage up the same way they're managing you. I really, you know, I want to, I want to push back on that. I think it's, it's really, it's, just, it's really disconcerting to me when founders say to me like, well, customers don't want it that way. The market didn't want it that way. The board doesn't want it that way. Who fucking cares? You are, mm. we've talked about this many times. You want to be a space heater, not a thermometer. You want to have good first principles thinking about the way the market might move in your direction, how your customer might benefit from your product and your business and how your board should engage with your business. And you need to go bring them along on the journey. And that's really important as a really effective founder. So these are all the different types of use cases for data. And Chris, returning to our driving analogy, something I wanted to talk about is the difference between being data informed and then being data driven. And for me, it has a lot of personal resonance coming from an engineering background, being a bit more quantitative, seeing data as the gold standard. And also coming from a company like Google, where, you know, there was the famous experiment with the 27 different colors of blue, right? Everything is data. And over time, I've come to see that as a bit of a false road. What you want to be is not data driven, but data informed. And when we talk about the car analogy, what I mean by that is keep your eyes on the fucking road. Don't stare down at your dashboard, right? 
having access to data is not a substitute for taste. It's not a substitute for talking to users. It's not a substitute for common sense or first principles thinking. Data needs to be a tool that you use. You don't want to be the tool that is used by data, right? You do not want to be foolish here. Yeah, this strikes me in my heart and in my soul, Yanev. You know, <laughs> early stage founders with no product, no users, no business, or the wrong customers, you know, because they got trapped in the other technology backed services company, spend so much time trying to run experiments or trying to validate ideas or trying to build a business case or talking to customers about. Would you like this in white label? Of course they want it in fucking white label, but they don't know what they want. They don't know what they need, right? You need to lift your gaze, as we keep saying over and over again, lift your gaze from the dashboard and not just look out the windscreen, but look at the horizon. Look at the horizon. Understand where you're going. Understand where you want to be as a founder. And if the data or a piece of anecdotal evidence tells you you should go left, where in your heart you want to go right, well, going left is not going to get you to success. <laughs> it's just not. And so be careful about, you know, swerving in the wrong direction and having your vision corrupted because you're staring at the instrument cluster or the GPS or worse, running over a child. The map is not the terrain, as they say. The map is not the terrain. The map is not the terrain. The map is not the terrain. I don't know how many times we can say that throughout the podcast. Three, three. I think you just said it three times. Yeah, please, please, please pay attention to what's in your heart, what's in your gut, what is common sense, and also what's in first principles. So watch out for domain dogma where your industry is kind of like, well, it's always been done that way. Yeah, but most things have been done a dumb way for a long time because new technologies, new cultural norms, and new regulations make a lot of things irrelevant and obsolete. And yeah. as a disruptor, as a Silicon Valley style founder, your job is to find the obsolescence and eliminate it. So if you're just paying attention to the data, both qualitative and quantitative, anecdotal and statistically significant, and you're not having to think about how the world should be in the future, you're really missing a trick. One thing I would add, I know we, we often give quite a lot of stick to early stage investors and here's a bit more because I think quite often what happens is that founders become obsessed with data too early because investors are asking them to during a fundraising process. And I get early stage founders asking me, how do I show I've got traction? How do I know I've got product market fit? And I'm like, talk to your users. There is no single metric that is going to tell you this stuff, especially at the early stage, right? Do people love your product? Do they get value from it? Do you understand how they use it? Do you understand what problem you're solving for them? Do you find it easy to make sales? Do you find it hard to make sales? All of these things are not easy to wrap up into a metric. And yet at the moment, you know, recording is late 2023 and so many pre-seed investors are asking for seed level metrics and so many seed investors are asking for series A level metrics and it's massively distorting. We promise to break the car analogy. So this is my attempt at breaking it. Imagine you pull into a gas station and you're like, I need some petrol to get where I'm going. And the attendant there is like, you shouldn't go there. Don't go left, go right. It's like, I'm asking for petrol. I'm telling you where I'm going. I need petrol to get there. Why are you giving me this advice? Why are you telling me that I need to focus on these certain metrics when that is not how I'm going to get where I'm going? 
So this is hard. I don't have all the answers because you need the petrol, right? You do need to raise from investors, but make sure that you don't get pushed towards building towards metrics that you think will be appealing for investors rather than building towards that scalable product, that scalable outcome that you are passionate about. Yeah, I, I, I want to really stress this, Yanev, because you said something that in, inspired a thought in me. You said, do people love your product? I want to be more precise about that. And this is kind of a little bit belaboring the point. We talk about this so much. The question is, do users love your product? Not do partners, customers, and investors love you? Okay. Mm -hmm. This is a really important difference. If you ask a partner or a customer, what do they want? And then you ostensibly are trying to give it to them. They might love you, you personally, your support team, your salesperson, your account manager, but that's not the goal. The goal is for users to love your product. People who have never spoken to you, right? Even if you have a B2B business and you're selling to the IT department, the question is not, does the IT department even love you? Do the users love you? Because that's the only measure of whether this, that product is going to stick and be successful and IT is going to keep you in that business. And they're going to tell their colleagues and their friends, and you might have a chance for middle out or bottom up adoption the same way Slack or Atlassian have. Too many founders are focused on, do the investors love me? Do customers love me? Do partners love me? Who cares? Who cares? If you go to those stakeholders and say, users love my product, end of conversation. It's the end. It's the only thing that matters. So the final thing I wanted to talk about, and this is like my final word of warning with data. And I wanted to mention this because I've just been burnt by it too many times. I've seen other people burnt by it too many times. And that's what I call the garbage in, garbage out problem. Here's the problem. Most data is wrong. It's really easy to collect data, but actually having data that reflects the underlying reality of your product or your business is far from easy. My head of data I used to work with back at Airtasker, Dan Gooden, he used to call it data stewardship, which sounds kind of boring, but it's actually really important, right? Which is if you just gather data and gather data and gather data, and then you try to run an analysis on it, here's what happens. As soon as you find out something interesting and you start digging a bit more, you're like, oh, the problem is just that the data was wrong. And so you go down all of these rabbit holes and sometimes you make really terrible business decisions because you have done a good analysis on bad data or you've done a bad analysis on good data. As a software engineer, there are really sophisticated protocols these days for like, how do you make sure that your software is not defective as you ship it? There's a whole DevOps way of thinking around tests and monitoring and alerting and deployment and so on. The state of the art with data is much worse. And it also, even more problematic, Broken software doesn't look like correctly working software, but broken data looks exactly the same as good data. It just happens to not be correct. So what is the lesson from all this? If you are not an organization that has real sophistication in terms of engineering and, and data folks, like really technical folks on the data gathering and on the data analysis side, you must keep it simple. It can be really tempting to just collect lots and lots of data and then run all sorts of analysis on it. But I can nearly guarantee you that the conclusions that you draw from that analysis will just be based on garbage. So you, you must have some, I guess I'd call it some humility here and just some understanding of the danger, right? I would say that making decisions based on analysis of bad data is worse than making decisions without data at all because you are being actively misled by your data. So be super careful. Careful, be humble. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Figure out what data you really need to make those decisions and focus in on that. You do not want to be big data. You want to be small data until you can really afford the team of specialists. And they really are specialists. And they're not cheap and they're not easy to find 
to do a more sophisticated job of it. I had an early stage founder say to me, like, oh, Chris, this is all about the data. We need to collect all the data and make sure we're building these really great data systems. And, and I'm like, I'm sorry, this is a 1990s thinking or something. It's, it's all about the data. We need all the data. This is a data business. It's like data is a means to an end. What is the product? What is the utility? What is the question you're asking? That will tell you what kind of data you need to collect and how to organize it. And, you know, an example of this, a very simple, silly example is, you know, we were talking about product telemetry. A product manager and I were talking about wiring up the product for telemetry. And we had a very simple question. Which part of this onboarding funnel is the user getting stuck at? And he was about to go wire up every single button and text field and input and everything and, and wire the whole thing up. Hundreds and hundreds of events across a multi-stage onboarding funnel. And I'm like, stop, 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 stop. We just need to know which screen they get stuck on. Just tell me which screen they get to. We can figure out the rest from there, right? We can use our intuition and our taste to look at that screen and go, why is that too hard? And why is that the place where they're getting stuck? You don't need to collect all the data. You just need to know what question you're asking and collect accurate data. And as you said, Yanev, the more sophisticated you get and the bigger your operation, you can then start to wire up things that are a little less obvious and start looking for patterns that you weren't expecting. But initially, just focus, focus on what you're building, the utility you're delivering and what questions you're trying to answer. Chris, I think that's probably a good point to end on. The journey we wanted to take you on today was to understand the role of data and to learn to appreciate its dangers. Maybe if podcasting existed 30 years ago and we were around, we'd be saying, you should use more data. You need to be more analytical. But the gospel of data has gone so far that we're saying, be careful. Make sure you use data wisely and carefully. Wielded well, it is incredibly powerful, but wielded badly, it is very dangerous. And so actually be deliberate about your use of data. I think if that's the one thing you need to take away from this is data is a means to an end. As you said, Chris, have the end in mind and then understand what your capability is, what the risks are when you use data and keep your eyes on the road. There is no substitute for that. All right, Chris, I know folks are like, I want to keep my eyes on the road, but there's something wrong with my neck. I keep staring down at the instrument panel and I forget to make use of all the sensory data around me. I want help. I want to become a better driver. Well, Chris, I know that you are an expert driving instructor. So if folks want a bit of help to use data appropriately. How can they work with you? Yeah, I'm loving these segues. This is becoming an art form now. It's so organic. <laughs> I know, it's great. That's right. <laughs> I do help a handful of founders and startups use data properly, but also use their intuition, common sense, and first principles. So feel free to learn more about that at chrissard.com slash advisory, and you can reach out to me from there. And also, don't forget, if you've been listening to a few of our episodes and getting value, you have implicitly signed up to the Startup Podcast Pact, which asks you to please follow and review the podcast in your favorite podcasting app, Check us out on YouTube and share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social network. It helps us grow and help more founders. Okay, see you, Chris. All right, awesome. Talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Startup Podcast was brought to you by Vanta. Vanta helps businesses get and stay compliant by automating up to 90% of the work for the most in-demand compliance frameworks. With over 200 integrations, you can easily monitor and secure the tools your business relies on. Head to vanta.com TSP for 20% off their incredible offering and start unlocking extra revenue today.
This episode of the Startup Podcast was brought to you by Insil. Most paid marketing campaigns have a negative ROI. Don't let that be you. Insil brings big brand expertise to small businesses across Australia and pride themselves on their no BS approach to driving traffic, leads, and sales for your business. They're award-winning, but more impressive in my view is the 4.8 star rating that they've earned on Google. Read the reviews, then jump onto insil.com.au and ask them how they can help you. Tell them we sent you.